Hey, it's Lily Jamali. Marketplace Tech has a new limited series out on YouTube called Decoding Democracy. With rapid advancements in new technology like AI, disinformation efforts are more convincing and more misleading than ever. So we'll be discussing how to spot things like deep fakes, how to protect yourself from disinformation, and how to talk to your friends and family about it. As always, this fact-based journalism and vital information will be free and accessible to all. As a public service newsroom, donations from you help us take on ambitious reporting projects like this one. Every single gift makes a difference. Go to marketplace.org slash give tech. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Seeking ground truth in Gaza. From American Public Media, this is Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Jamali. The World Court rules tomorrow on whether to grant emergency measures to stop the war in Gaza, where South Africa accuses Israel of carrying out a state-led genocide. Israel says it's targeting Hamas militants, not Palestinian civilians, in response to the deadly Hamas attack on October 7th. But more than 25,000 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli strikes since then. And nearly half the buildings in Gaza have been damaged or destroyed, according to Corey Schur of CUNY and Oregon State's Jamin Vandenhoek, who've been mapping the destruction with satellite radar technology. What satellite radar does is illuminates a region with microwaves, radar waves, similar to a camera flash, um, but from 700 kilometers in altitude. And it does this from an angle. So because we know the characteristics of the outgoing wavelengths, when the satellite retrieves the echoes of those microwaves back at, at its sensor, we get a, an idea of the 3D structure and arrangement of a region, which is much different than looking at the color of a region. Mm-hmm. So coming at this from an angle, it sounds like gives you a much more textured understanding of what is happening in the way of destruction. Texture is a great way to phrase it. Yeah. I often use the phrase and, and colleagues in this specific research community talk about the structure and arrangement of a region, its randomness. But yeah, we are more sensitive to the, the texture of a region with satellite radar. You started working on mapping Gaza well before the current conflict. When did your focus on Gaza begin? Well, I, uh, Corey and I have been working on Gaza since the 2021 uh, conflict. Um, but separately, we, we each have been working in Gaza for uh, before that and sort of in between. Um, I first started studying the landscape changes in Gaza in um, 2015, following the uh, 2014 conflict. Um, and there that I think the the real concern with trying to understand um, the motivation to try to look at the Gaza Strip and what's happening in Gaza Strip as well as West Bank is the um, 
difficulties of access, um, difficulties of, of actually understanding um, the the scale and the scope of humanitarian challenges associated with the long-standing sort of geopolitical isolation, marginalization, economic deprivation that um, Palestinians have endured. Um, it's quite a unique um, geography in that if you're born in Gaza, um, it's very difficult to leave Gaza, to get out of Gaza. Um, that means that there's just sort of this sort of, there's a, um, a, a restriction on awareness of what's happening on the ground. Um, in these conflicts, there's a kind of unique um, challenge in trying to document these, this type of damage from the ground, which we're seeing here in this current conflict with uh, such a, a large loss of life with journalists and humanitarian responders. Um, it's, it's always been challenging. This is especially acute, um, but Gaza has always presented, uh, and West Bank as well, has presented unique challenges and just a kind of invisibility and a, a lack of awareness of what is actually happening um, to not just to the built environment, which is what we can see um, better than anything um, with, with the approach we're taking now, but really what's happening to uh, families, to households, to livelihoods, communities, economies. Um, these are really the, the end results. Um, the human toll is, is really what's of concern here. Um, and we can get at some of those proxies um, and address some of those invisibilities through remote sensing by looking at damage to cities, damage to, to, to schools, types of infrastructure, agricultural change, etc. We'll be right back with more on efforts to track the destruction in Gaza with satellite technology. You're listening to Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Jamali. We're back with CUNY's Corey Schur and Oregon State's Jamin Vandenhoek. Corey, can you talk about where this information has landed? I'm seeing it being used in a lot of journalism outlets. I've seen it in the BBC and Reuters and, and others. Do you think there's a place for this data that you all have collected and then visualized in, you know, for example, among lawmakers uh, who are calling for a ceasefire or in the genocide case that South Africa has brought against Israel at the International Court of Justice? When you mentioned the um, South Africa complaint to the ICJ, there were a few citations to our damage assessments within that complaint, mainly from a BBC piece when the, when the estimate of, of potential damage exceeded 100,000 buildings in Gaza. That piece was cited a couple of times throughout that complaint. Your question about lawmakers gets to a point that um, I care a lot about, and it's that as a physically based indicator, it is some of the only information that one can get out of a region that's not aligned with one political actor or another. We can look at it from space um, and see how its morphology or its structure is changing. And those approximations of what's happening on the ground, we've seen different political actors attach different narratives to them. Our maps have been ingested both on Israeli national television networks and also networks like Al Jazeera or uh, groups with ostensibly different ways of looking at things. But I think just as physically based indicators that are not aligned um, and that are can be transparent and reproducible in a scientific sense because of open data and scientific methods, it's a unique way of being able to map what's what's playing out on the ground. Right. 
These are facts. In in a conflict where getting facts has been especially challenging, there are not a lot of journalists from the outside and journalists inside of the Gaza Strip who are trying to get this information out have put themselves at tremendous risk to do that. Well, yeah, I'd say any accounts that we have from journalists or humanitarians or civilians on the ground, it may be an accurate assessment, it may be a precise location, but it just becomes a single data point amongst really a, a sea of, of events. The approach that we're taking allows for a systematic Gaza Strip-wide assessment where we're compare, where we're applying the same methodology, site after site after, after site, date after date, um, that gives a kind of systematic awareness and consistency. Um, I don't think that we would call these facts. It's certainly not an objective assessment. Um, there are lots of decisions made. It's not a, a clear endpoint from getting raw SAR data to generating damage maps. So there's a lot of decisions. There's parameterizations made right throughout the whole process. But it is our best assessment. It's a very actually restrictive assessment of what we're trying to see, where we do our best to remove suggestions of um, sites of likely damage that um, we think are are incorrect, that we think are um, effectively giving us a, a false indication, a false positive, and inflating the damage assessment. So we really do our best to remove all of those sources that cause uh, this, this uh, artificial inflation of the data. Um, which are are many, um, and the result that we get ends up being a um, a kind of pattern, a kind of of tempo of uh, damage, likely damage on the landscape that that aligns well with what we're seeing. Certainly, the overall the big picture certainly confirms uh, it lines up with other accounts of the sheer scale and speed of the war. But we're also seeing week after week after week a, a quite a good agreement, and uh, the reports that have been put up by the UN, we're seeing. Um, very good agreement with their work, which is done through a, a totally different system. So, so we have a good degree of confidence there. Has anybody disputed the data that you're putting out there? Sure. Lots of people have disputed it with no evidence, though. Everyone says that there's a lot of people who have said, right, just random commentators have said, uh, this is wrong. This is impossibly high. The, the, I think, issue there, though, is that the people who have that hasn't been happening lately, but early on there were there were people that contested the statistics, and they were, um, of course, simultaneously um, voicing their support for military operations. So it was a little perplexing to us to see people discounting the scale of damage when that's exactly what they wanted to see. If I may, what's novel about this work is that within war zones, journalists and humanitarian actors are some of the first to have real reports and data on the ground about what's actually happening. So. As scientists, what we always need in this type of work is what we call ground truth data, where we can be assured that something is in fact happening and we're seeing it expressed in the satellite signal, the signals we're retrieving from satellite in this way. And in that sense, when we hand off these data to different journalism desks, they are doing their own sense of validation exercises with the reports or the ancillary points of information that they have. Researchers Corey Schur and Jamin Vandenhoek. The Israeli military campaign in Gaza was, in December, deemed among the deadliest and most destructive in recent history. The scope of destruction has outpaced the raising of Aleppo, Syria, between 2012 and 2016, the siege of Mariupol in the early days of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, even the bombing of Germany by Allied forces during World War II. 
The evidence shows the vast majority of bombs dropped on Gaza were made in the United States. We've posted a link to a BBC visualization of the destruction based on Corey and Jamin's analysis of Copernicus Sentinel-1 satellite data on our website, marketplacetech.org. Jesus Alvarado produced this episode. I'm Lily Jamali, and that's Marketplace Tech. This is APM. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.